Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. So grab your Bibles, if you would, and we got notes. If you want some notes, you can just uh, lift your hand up, and we'll get some notes to you. Um, or you can do the digital ones by texting the word app to 858-943-2221. But if you want some paper ones, the ushers are coming right now, and they will get you some of those. Um, hey, we've been in a series, uh, like I mentioned, really more of an experience entitled Rooted. And, um, and I want to remind us once again what this series is about. We're, we're talking about being rooted into Christ Jesus. Uh, we just finished off our worship set with singing that song, uh, Firm Foundation. Um, here's, here's what you need to understand. If, if you root your life into a local church, just a local church, um, that's not a firm foundation. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, it helps lead you to the firm foundation, which is Christ Jesus, um, but myself, along with every other pastor in the nation, would attest that over the last 24 months, we can tell you that, man, just, just the local church is not a firm foundation. Um, there's ups and downs. There's, there's people coming. There's people going. Um, there's different things happening. Uh, and so we're not talking about being rooted into a local church, but I want to say this. I think being rooted in a local church is a vital part of helping you get rooted into Christ Jesus. But what this series has been about is really uh, being rooted into Christ Jesus because he is our firm foundation. Matter of fact, he's the only firm foundation. Um, and, and so that's where we need to be rooted. No matter how strong your marriage might be. Come on, somebody. You need to be rooted in Christ. It is the only, no matter what relationships you have around you. Um, no matter how, you know, uh, structured and great your job is. Uh, man, there's only one firm foundation, and that is Christ Jesus. And so we're, we're, t- uh, we're, 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 we're talking about going back to the basics, the basics of what it means to, uh, the basic ideas and what it looks like to be a Christ follower, um, really what, the, you know, the Bible talks about being a disciple. And so that's what we've been jumping into. And last week, if you missed it, man, you've got to go back and listen to the message uh, on uh, spiritual warfare and that we're actually facing a real enemy. Um, it was so good that I listened to myself preach it. I'm serious. I mean, and I'm not saying that to say I was that good. I'm saying, man, what God did through and what was spoken was so good. And, um, and I would encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and listen to it um, on spiritual warfare that we're really facing a real enemy. But today I want to talk to you about another principle, another idea of being rooted in, in, into the body, rooted into Christ Jesus so that we can find that firm foundation. And the, the simple idea is this. It's called serving, serving. I want to read this to you. I believe it's in your notes. Be up on the screens, maybe. Jesus did not die just to clean up a mess. Uh, let me just be up front with you. Before Jesus, your life was a mess. Before Jesus, my life was a mess, right? But here's what we need to understand. He didn't die just to clean up a mess and save us from sin. He called us into resurrection life, right? The Bible talks about it. Man, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Man, there's resurrection life. This isn't a, a life with Jesus. isn't a life of just getting by. It's not a life of I hope, I hope this works out and I hope I can make it. Um, the, the life in Jesus is not like I got saved and now I'm just chilling. Uh, man, there's resurrection life. And he called us into that. Many people stop their Christian journey at the point of forgiveness and just try to hold on and get through life, right? That's some of our spiritual journey. It's just like, well, I'm, I'm forgiven. Now if I can just make it until Jesus returns. We need to enter into resurrection life and be used by God. 
We need to enter into resurrection life and be used by God. So I'm going to take us back to uh, Exodus, the book of Exodus. Open up your Bibles. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to find. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. The next one is Exodus. And the reason it's called Exodus is because it's all about God's chosen people and who he chose was the nation of Israel. And he chose them and uh, he did some things in them. And now uh, this, this uh, whole book would chronicle the life of Israel in captivity uh, in Egypt, but then ultimately their Exodus and where God was taking them to. And uh, we're going to pick it up. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to jump around a little bit in, in Exodus so we can kind of paint uh, a full picture here um, as, as we get into it. Anybody excited for the word today? All right. Exodus chapter 3. I'm reading from the New Living. And it says this, starting in verse 1. It says, And one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now let's stop there because I know there's already so many questions. Like, who's Moses? Right, like, I mean, I, I know some of you, you grew up in church, you've been around church, and some of you actually open up your Bible and read it, right, and do some devotionals. Uh, but for a lot of us, maybe we don't know who Moses is. Moses is a Hebrew, and uh, he's part of the nation of Israel. And, um, and the nation of Israel, many years before this, uh, was led to Egypt as a place of deliverance um, because there was a great famine in the land. And so they were led to Egypt, and there they found food, they found shelter, and Egypt was kind to them, and, and let them come in and find the food and find the shelter, and they lived together as one people. Well, over time, uh, new leadership would come on the scene, and the new leadership would look at the nation of Israel and think, man, they're mighty, they're powerful, and um, you know what, we need to protect ourselves, we need to make sure that this nation doesn't overtake our nation, even though that wasn't their plans. And so the new leadership in Egypt is living in fear. And so um, they task all of the Hebrews with these big tasks of building things. And they put uh, slave and taskmasters over them. And they're making them do all this slave labor and this stuff, right? So now what was a place of freedom is now a place of bondage. Well, it comes about that now the new leadership wants to take out all of the, the Hebrew boys so they don't become too powerful. And so a mom and a dad get together and they, they, you know, they, they have this little baby Moses and they want Moses to be spared. And so they make this, how many of you guys heard this story before? They make this little basket called an ark and they put Moses in it, shove him into the water and then Moses is found by an Egyptian and then raised in uh, Pharaoh's house and becomes a mighty leader as a Hebrew in Egypt. Are you tracking with the story? Okay. So, but some things happen where Moses, and we're going to find out about this, gets banned from, from Egypt. Okay. So here's where we pick up the story. Moses, raised in Pharaoh's house as a leader, but yet he's Hebrew, is now banished from Egypt. Okay. So one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness, some translations say on the backside of the desert, and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire the middle of, in the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. How many guys would do that as well, right? The Bible talks about how the, the bush was consumed with fire, but yet it wasn't burned, Right? And so he looks at it with amazement, the Bible says. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. 
Wow. So here's Moses, backside of the desert. He's in the desert because he's actually fleeing from Egypt, working for his father-in-law. He's, he's tending sheep, and he gets to the backside of the desert. Now God appears to him in this, in this bush. Now, if all of a sudden there's a bush on fire, what's your first reaction? You grab the garden hose, right? Um, call 911, do something, throw water on it, right? Not Moses. He stops, and he's just amazed by this thing. Goes over to it, and the, the bush starts to talk to him. Crazy. Exodus 3, verse 10. And this is what the bush says. It's true. It's the, the, the read it. The bush is talking to him. Says this in verse 10. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Okay, now this is a crazy day, right? Moses is just going about his business. Man sees a bush on fire, is like amused by the thing, goes over and stands and looks at it, and all of a sudden starts to talk to him. And all of a sudden now it gives him instruction to go back to the place that he's running from. Okay? And, and he starts to argue with this burning bush. Okay? And, and the bush is like, hey, and it's obviously God speaking through this, just says, hey, say, I am has sent you. Moses wrestles with this. Exodus 4, 1 through 4. Turning your Bibles there. Moses is wrestling with this idea of going back and, and doing this. And it says in chapter 4, verse 1, but Moses protested again. If they won't believe me or listen to me, they won't do it. What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Valid question, right? I mean, let's, let's, can we just pause for a moment? If one of your friends comes to you and says, hey, man, like God spoke to me. And your friend goes, oh, really, how? Well, you see, I was out watering my plants, and I looked over, and one of them was on fire. And so I went over to check it out, and then it started to speak to me. How many of your friends are really going to believe that you heard from God? Valid question, right? Like, what if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asks him, what is that in your hand? I want you to underline that thought, highlight it. What is that in your hand? And Moses said, well, it's a shepherd's staff. Moses was a shepherd. He led sheep, right? Um, that shepherd's staff, that thing that would be used to fight off animals if it tried to come and attack them, and that thing that would be used to pull those animals closer to him. He said, well, I have this shepherd's staff. And Moses replied, and, it's, and Jesus, or the, the, God said, throw it to the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw the staff to the ground and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Now this day just got crazier, didn't it not? Moses jumped back. 
Then the Lord told him, reach out your hand and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Moses, what's that in your hand? Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 through 17. So Moses now is still having dialogue with God, still questioning whether or not he's the right one. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I am not very good with words. Why does he say that? Well, if you study out the life of Moses, you would learn that Moses, most theologians believe he had a stutter, that he didn't speak eloquently, that he had a problem with speech. And so he says, well, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied with my words, and they, they get tangled. Then the Lord asks Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or don't speak? Hear or don't hear? See or do not see? Is it I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. In verse 14, and the Lord became angry with Moses. Now, I believe it's in the New King James translation. I, I believe it says in that God's anger waxed hot against, against Moses. How many guys want God's anger to wax hot against you? No, I don't, I don't think so. So now, this bush that was consumed with fire is now very angry with Moses. The Lord became very angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. Verse 17, and take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform miraculous signs I have shown you. Moses, what is that in your hand? I want to talk to you for the next few moments about what is in your hand. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. And Lord, I just pray that this morning in this place, this incredible church, uh, Lord, that you would, you would give us instruction straight from your word. God, you would teach us, um, instruct us. And God, let us walk out of here having encountered not only great moments in worship, but God, having encountered you in the midst of the reading of your word. God, I pray you'd help me now in this place, create an environment for people to discover your son, Jesus, know your incredible love, and realize the amazing plan that you have for their life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Has, has anybody here ever lost anything before? Some of you didn't raise your hand. Like, you've never lost anything? Wow, that's impressive. Lost something. I don't know. How many guys ever lost a child in a store before? Not a fun feeling at all. Um, done that a couple of times. Sometimes I actually wanted to lose them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Lost something before, um, I, I, I've lost some things before, and I still go back to this story because it's so vivid in my mind. 
I'll never forget the time where I lost my wallet. How many of you guys ever lost your wallet, misplaced your wallet? Car keys are even worse sometimes, but lost the wallet, can't find the wallet. I'll never forget one day running back. This is when my kids were much younger, and so sometimes little kids have a way of picking things up and playing with them, and so do older kids. I have teenagers now. Um, and so I, I'm going back in the house, and I'm frantic, and I'm looking for my wallet. I'm running all over the house, and I'm looking for my wallet. And my wife comes out of the bedroom and said, Ben, what's the matter? I said, babe, I don't have time right now. I'm running late. I've got, I, I, I don't have time to talk. She's like, well, what are you doing? I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking everywhere for my wallet. I'm looking in the crevice of the couch. That's usually where it's at, right? I'm looking in the nightstand. I'm looking in the sock drawer. I don't know why the wallet's there. I'm looking everywhere for my wallet. How many of you guys know when you are frantic looking for something that oftentimes you end up looking in places it would never, ever be? Because you've exhausted every resource, right? Like, and so I'm looking in cereal boxes. Come on, somebody. Where's the prize at, right? I'm looking in the freezer, which, by the way, one time I did find my phone in the freezer. Not sure how it got there. But I'm, I'm frantically looking for my wallet everywhere. Now, now I'm, I've resorted into looking into places it would probably never be. And the whole entire time, my wife is asking me, Ben, what are you doing? And finally, I stop and said, babe, I'm in a hurry. I need to find my wallet. This is probably after 10 minutes of, of looking. And she looks at me, and a smile comes across her face. And I'm like, how dare she think this is funny right now? And she looks at me, and she goes, Ben, what's in your hand? And I look down, and there is my wallet in my hand. The whole entire time, as I am frantically looking all over the place for my wallet. Now, I know you can get a good laugh out of that, but how many guys have had that happen to you before? Right? Like, your sunglasses are right here and you're looking all over the campsite for your sunglasses, frantically, and all of a sudden someone says, hey, what's, what's, what's on your head, right? Like, y'all probably have something like that. It, it, it lost, and there it was, and all she looks at, Ben, what's in your hand? It, it was right there the whole entire time. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel like a lot of times we live our spiritual existence like that. We, 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 we have our prayer times like that. We pray and we say, God, would you rescue us? God, would you do this? God, would you? How many of you ever pray, prayed this before? God, I really want you to do a work at my job. Would you just send out some believers here to minister to people at my work? And we spend these moments like thinking like, man, if God would only do this, if God would just show up and answer, and if God would just move, and if God would do this, and God would do that, and I have to think that the whole entire time God is up in heaven saying, I've already done it, I sent you. I sent you to that job place. I sent you to that community. I put you in that church. I put you in that place. And yet sometimes we're like me, frantically running around looking for, for answers, looking for this, looking for that. And God's saying, hey, it's in your hand. It's right there. Well, what is it that we have? Faith? Doesn't the Bible tell us that he has given us every single person has been given a measure of faith? Romans 12, 3 talks about it. How about, how about uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 that says he's given us all things we need for life and godliness. He didn't leave something out. When, 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 when we're praying, God, would you move in our community? Would you move in North County, San Diego? God's like, yes, I'm, I'm trying to, but, but, but you're not doing anything. Well, he sent you. He put you in that job. He put you in that ministry. He put you in that church. He put you in that neighborhood. He put those people around you. He put you in that place. 
Sometimes we're frantically running around. Here Moses is approached by God to go and do this this incredible work. And he simply asks Moses when Moses is wrestling with God. Moses is like, man, I think you got the wrong person. I'm not not the right one. I I think he'd probably just stay here on fire. I'm sure another shepherd's going to come by. Come on, somebody. And as Moses is arguing with God, God just simply asks, what's in your hand? He doesn't tell Moses to go find something. He just simply looks at who Moses is and what Moses has, and he says, hey, what's, what's that in your, your hand? Moses' simple reply is, well, it's, it's my shepherd's staff. Now, I had big plans to have a, a staff here, but I couldn't find a staff, so I found the next best thing, a metal rod. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses replies, well, it's, it's, my, it's my shepherd's staff. But here's something you need to understand. This wasn't just a shepherd's staff to Moses. This shepherd's staff really represents everything in, that, that, that Moses was. It, 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 it represents his livelihood. It's how he, it's how he made a living. It, it, it represents his strength. This thing was used to to get animals away. This thing was used to to bring in the sheep to keep them safe. This wasn't just just a stick, just a a, a shepherd's staff. No, it, it actually represented his livelihood. This is how he made a living. This is what he did. Not only represented his livelihood, it represented his standard of living. Anybody who had one of these, not these, but what he had, was known to be a shepherd. And unfortunately, in those times, being a shepherd wasn't like your first career choice. It was like last result. It was like you're, you're low on the totem pole represent his standard of living. Not only did it represent that, it represented his influence. What did he have influence over? These sheep, his family. And so when God says, hey, he could have asked him anything. But he said, what's in your hand? And this represented everything that Moses was. And listen to what God says next. I want you to take that thing and I want you to throw it to the ground. Much louder than a stick. I want you to throw it to the ground. I want you to take what you have and I want you to release it and I want you to let go of it. The Bible says that when it left his hand and hit the ground, it became alive. It turned into a snake. And Moses is so shocked by this that he jumps back. Come on, how many of you guys would jump back as well? Right? Just snakes in general. But he's freaked out, and he jumps back, and he's like, what just happened? As if the bush on fire talking wasn't enough. What, what just happened? The thing 
became alive. And then the next thing God says, and now I want you to pick it up by the tail. And the Bible says he picked it up by the tail. And the minute he picked it up, it became a staff once again. I have to think that maybe there's a principle there for us today. That when you take what you have and you release it to God, that it actually becomes alive and active. But when it's in your hand, it's just, it's just there. It's just a staff. But when it came out of his hand, it was alive. It was active. What is in your hand, Moses? See, this principle just isn't seen in the life of Moses. This principle is seen actually in the New Testament in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, there's a story uh, about Jesus who was really long-winded in preaching. True story. Some of you are like, Pastor, are we going to wrap this up at 11.15? It all depends. The Bible says in Luke 9 that Jesus was preaching, the multitudes were gathered, and there he was, and he was preaching, and, and he was preaching, and he was preaching, and he was preaching, and finally, the disciples, ministry team, came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, and they said it very nice, they didn't tell him he was long-winded, they said the people are tired and hungry, we should probably send them to get something to eat. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you give them something to eat. And they said that's impossible. All we have here are a couple of fish and some loaves of bread. What is, what is that for 5,000 people? And the story would go on and that Jesus would say this, he would say, hey, Bring to me what you have and give it here. Out of Jesus' hands and in theirs, it was a couple of fish and some loaves of bread. But when it got into Jesus' hands, the Bible says that he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and then it got distributed. In their hands, it was just some, some couple loaves of bread and some fish. But the minute that they gave it to Jesus, it became enough to feed 5,000 plus people. What is in your hand? When we hold on to it, it's, it's nothing but a dead, dry stick. But when we release it, it becomes alive. And I've wrestled with this so much when I look at people, and maybe you have too, when you look at people in Scripture and you read about the people in the Bible, you look at it and you're like, Man, why did God choose that person? Anybody ever read that before? Like, why did God choose that person? And because when, when you look at the life of, of Moses, he's kind of jacked up. I mean, he, was, he, he, he wasn't even raised by his family. He was adopted into another family, raised with completely different standards and morals. And then he goes on, and we're going to see in a minute that he actually kills somebody, and now he's running for his life. He works for his father-in-law. He's in the backside of the desert. Like, he's living in Vegas, not in God's promised land, San Diego. Come on, somebody. I mean, he's jacked up. Why did God choose Moses? Because he's just as jacked up as you and I are. And I think we can read the life of Moses and we can be like, wow, if God could use this guy, certainly there's hope for me. God says, Moses, what's in your hand? It's just a staff. It's just a stick. No, it represents everything you are. And I want you to release who you are into my hands because when you're in my hands, it's alive. But when you possess it on your own, it's nothing. All of a sudden, God begins to mess with Moses' stuff and 
And I believe that God wants to do the same thing with us, us today. Why are we afraid to release what we have to God? Why, why are we holding on so tightly? Some of us have held on to things so tightly, maybe we've tucked them away that we've even forgot that it's there. I think some of the things that Moses had to overcome are some of the things that you and I have to overcome as well. Let me just walk through it real quickly. You with me this morning? Things Moses had to overcome. Number one, uh, Moses had to overcome impurity. Now, we ultimately understand that, man, because of the work of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, that, man, impurity, sin in our life has been overcome, right? Like, like he went to the cross. It was final. That impurity is overcome. But here's the thing, that sometimes when, when, when the Holy Spirit approaches us about matters in our life, we don't deal with it. We don't confess our sin. We don't bring it to the forefront. We don't deal with it. Like, like Moses, so many times what we do is, is we want to hide it. What was Moses hiding? Moses, again, is on the backside of the desert running for his life because he murdered someone. Exodus chapter 2, uh, verses like 10 through 15 would tell us the story. That as Moses was being raised in, 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 uh, in Pharaoh's house as a leader, that he was out and he would see his Hebrew people, his friends, his brothers, his, 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 his relatives being treated like slaves. And one day there was a Hebrew being beaten and Moses didn't like that. And the Bible says that he comes forth and he actually pushes the, the Egyptian and kills him. And here's what Moses does like so many of us do. Moses tries to hide the fact that he killed somebody. And the Bible would say that Moses buried that Egyptian in the sand. How many know when all of a sudden the wind starts to blow, that sand is going to move away and it's going to be seen? See, a lot of us try to cover our impurities, things we've done, sins we've committed. We try to cover it like Adam and Eve with fig leaves, the Bible says, that wither. We try, to, we try to cover these imperfections, these impurities, these sins in our life, because if someone found out, I could probably never be a part of that. I could probably never, you know, be used by God in any significant way. So we hide it. Moses is hiding this impurity. Running from his sin, his situation. But in spite of all of that, God shows up. In spite of all that, God shows up. Why? Because God is going to use whomever he wants to use. We see this in a great imagery in, in, in the New Testament when Paul, the apostle that wrote the majority of the New Testament, was on his way to arrest believers He's on his way to Damascus, the road to Damascus as it's known, and man, God shows up and appears to Paul. He says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. What, what, what about you? What, 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 what impurities, what things are you hiding from? Know this, that when God gets something in his mind, he will move heaven and earth to get to you to do what he wants to do. Are you with me? He'll do it. 
because he's got a plan. And he sees what's in your hand and he wants to use you and it for his kingdom purpose and his kingdom plan. I think the, the last couple of years has actually done a great job of exposing some of the impurities in our own hearts, hasn't it? I had a great, great conversation just briefly with, with Andrew. Uh, wasn't worship great today? Andrew. We were just sitting right here, just had a, a quick conversation, but just reminded that, you know, because it's so easy to point the finger at everybody else. But man, the last 18, 24 months, I don't know about you, but man, God's been exposing stuff in my life. Just some stuff like, hey, Ben, have you dealt with that? Have you forgiven that person? Well, no, nor should I, right? Like, am I the only one that has those conversations? Yeah, I'll forgive them when they come to me because I was right, they were wrong. And Jesus was like, well, that's not how I handled you. Uh, I'm like, dang it. I don't feel like being like Jesus right now. We got to deal with our impurities. How, how, how do you deal with that? The Bible says, right? First John 1, you know, you come to him and confess your sins to him, and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. It's that easy. It's that easy, man, when the Holy Spirit is tugging on an area of your life. Don't try to bury it in the sand. Don't try to cover it up. Don't run from it, because God will go to the backside of the desert to find you and say, hey, what are you running from? I need you. You, you. You're moving from San Diego to this place or to that place, running from something. What are you running from? God will find you there as well. I think, I think people get in their mind that if, if they just change their physical surroundings and get out of this situation, that all of a sudden the problems that they're experiencing here won't be here. And that will be true for about a month. Until you realize that the problem isn't here, the problem's right here. And once you deal with the right here, it doesn't matter where God puts you, where God plants you, he can use you wherever you are. Here is Moses running, he's on the backside of the desert. You mean to tell me that God couldn't find somebody else in Egypt? He ends up using his brother. You mean to tell me he had to go to the backside of the desert? That's how much God loves us. That's how far his love will go. Man, you could be living in sin, shacked up with somebody that you should not be shacked up with, and all of a sudden one night, there comes a knock on the door. Did you invite anybody over? No, did you? No. And you go and you open and there's Jesus. That's how much he loves you. How much he wants to do in and through your life, but we've got to deal with our impurity. The, the second thing I see is this, is Moses had to not only deal with his impurity, but he had to deal with his uncertainty. How many times does, does Moses question, it's like four or five times he's having this, God, you got the wrong one. You, you know, God, this is, this is not the way it's gonna go down. He had to deal with his own uncertainty. Moses questions God, what if they don't believe me? Well, what if they don't? So what's in your hand? What does that got to do with anything? He was so uncertain. 
But yet God shows up in his power and shows Moses what is available to him to help him overcome his uncertainty. Now, I'm, I'm just going to, I'll be real with you today. Man, uh, if, I don't know about you, but for me, man, the last couple of years, there's been a lot of uncertainty. Now, I wish, I wish I could tell you as your pastor that I show up every Sunday morning with, man, I got this staff in my hand, and we're going to do business today. Boom, alive! Alive, right? Like, I wish I could tell you that that was me walking into every Sunday. But I'll tell you what, man, if the last two years has taught me anything, it's taught me to drop to my knees and say, God, I don't know what's going to happen today. I need you. Unless you show up, man, this whole thing's going to flop. God, unless you show up, man, we can, we can have great singers and, man, beautiful voices and great sounding instruments, but let's be honest. If that's all we have, it was a great concert. God, unless you show up, man, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Talk about uncertainty. I felt like Moses over that. God, I don't, think, I, I don't think we were supposed to move to Escondido. And my God, why did we buy a building? Because had we been in a theater, we could have saved a lot of money because we wouldn't have been able to meet in the theater because the government shut it down. That was me through the pandemic. I was like, we bought a building one year before this and now we gotta pay it even? No, why don't we go back to the theater? Uncertainty. Anybody else? Or am I the only one? I was, I, was, I mean, wrestling. Moses is like, man, I, I, think you got, I think you got the wrong one. And God just says, man, it's not about you. Well, what do I say? Just say that I am who I am sent you. Well, who are you? Right? What is God doing in that moment? He's trying to get his focus off of himself. Right? Like, Moses, why are you thinking about you? This isn't about you. Just, just I am the one that is sending you. I am the one that is going to do this. I could have chose anybody, and right now I'm so angry, I wish I would have chose somebody else. Oh, you just go. But uh, let's be honest, like, like, like Moses, I think some of us, man, we're hiding with our impurity, thinking, man, if, I, if this gets exposed, God won't use me and I'll do nothing and nobody can find Or maybe it's, maybe it's this one. Maybe it's this uncertainty. Maybe it's like, I don't know. Like the last church I stepped out in, man, I got hurt. That was probably the last 10 churches. Got hurt. There's just this uncertainty. Like Moses, you gotta, gotta be able to overcome that. Moses, what's in your hand? Release it. Lastly, I'll, I'll end here. Um, insecurity. Oh, this is a big one. You know, I think a lot of times that our impurities in our life lead us to these moments of uncertainty, which then eventually leads to insecurity. I, th I think if we walk around in this uncertain place too long, I mean, just think from a natural standpoint. Like, if you're uncertain about where you're living, you're uncertain about what you're doing, pretty soon it breeds insecurity. Like, man. Moses is wrestling with this insecurity. So insecure that he wrestles with God. God gets mad. But God says, I'm still not letting you off the hook. 
gosh, Moses, fine. Aaron's on his way. I'll hook you guys up. You go together. But I'm not letting you off the hook. And here's the thing. I believe God's so good and his love is so vast that not only will he go to the backside of the wilderness to find you, to challenge you to say, hey, what, what, what do you actually have in your hand? What do you possess? What's there? Well, it's just a couple of loaves. It's a fish. It's just a staff. No, release it to me. But he loves us so much that no matter how much we argue with him, God, I think you got the wrong person. I'm pretty sure, like, man, there's got to be somebody better for this job. He loves us so much. He's like, I'm not going to let you off the hook. But I'm going to send you someone to come alongside of you. So here he is, and he goes. And if you don't know the story, it's a great one, but we're going to wrap it up right here because it is 1118, and some of you are already like, Hush. Hungry, Pastor. He goes. If you don't know the story, it's pretty phenomenal. He goes to Pharaoh. And most of us hear the story like this Pharaoh, let my people go. You ever watch the movie? In reality, it was like this Pharaoh! Let goes to him time and time and time again. Finally, after these 10 plagues, Pharaoh's like, fine, get out of here. And so they leave. Exodus chapter 14. And they're fleeing and they're going, they're gone, they're like, we're out. But Pharaoh says, no, we're not going to let them. We're not going to let this happen. So as their Israelites are leaving, the Bible says they get to the Red Sea, and there they are, and they're standing there, and all of a sudden they see this cloud of dust coming from behind, and a report comes and says, hey, Pharaoh's coming with his army, and they're coming to kill us. All of that for this? I should have stayed in the backside of the desert. All of that for this? I should have stayed in the theater. Should have stayed. All of that for this? I mean, the report comes, hey, man, you guys are going to die. Like, oh, man. So Moses gets up. And probably gives one of the greatest brave heart speeches ever. Verse 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. So awesome. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Isn't it epic? I mean, it is like, bigger, like better than Braveheart. Like there they are, and Moses rises up, and he's like, boom, and everybody's like, yeah. And then there's the next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? What just happened? Y'all remember when you're little and all you wanted was that helium balloon tied to your wrist 
And you just thought, man, you got that thing there, and you're like walking around proud of that balloon, and all of a sudden it slips off your hand and it floats away? Yeah, this is that moment. Don't be afraid, everybody. Here's what's gonna happen. God is going to deliver us. The Egyptians, there'll be no more. And God shows up. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea, and divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Moses, what is in your hand? Ladies and gentlemen, every time that question gets asked, there will be a test eventually. And the test is going to determine, do you believe God or do you believe something else? God asked Moses, what was in your hand? What's a staff? Well, out of your hand, guess what? It's alive. it's alive. If you use it for me, man, it has significance. It has power. It's alive. And here he is. And there is no question who, to, who separated that sea in that moment. Why are you crying to me? Use what you have and divide the water so that millions of people can pass from death into life. So that millions of people can walk across on dry ground. Ladies and gentlemen, you might be out there praying, hey, God, is there any significance in me? God, is there any purpose for me? God, can I do anything? And God would say to you, yes, just take what you have and begin to use it so that people can pass from death to life. They can pass from sin to salvation. They can have, pass from despair to hope based on what you have in your life. But yet there's so many of us like Moses standing in there and just, just like, well, God, God, do it. And God's like, I already did. I put you in that place. Lift up what you have and separate so people can pass through into eternal life because of the gift that is on you. God, we thank you so much for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. God, your word is amazing. God, thank you for giving us messed up, jacked up people like Moses in Scripture. So we can look at it and say, you know what? There's hope for me. Moses wasn't perfect, dealing with his own impurities. If you've ever needed a passage before that demonstrates that God's not intimidated by you arguing with him, this has got to be a great one. God gets so upset with Moses that it, the Bible says he's actually angry with him. But yet God's love overcomes his wrath. Which in, in, literally in one Bible story, we see the amazing picture of the cross. That although the, the wrath of God is burning hot towards humanity because of sin, because of impurity, his love outweighs it. And he sends his only son, Jesus. See, it doesn't matter what, what insecurities you have, what uncertainties you have, what impurities you have. When you yield your life to Jesus, when you take what you possess and what you have and you put it in his hands, he not only cleans up the mess, he gives you resurrection life. And he positions you for victory. 
with great authority. Not, not, not so that you can just overcome the temptations that the enemy throws at you, but so that you can walk forward with the gift that's on your life and help people cross from that place of hopelessness, from that place of despair, from that place of a mess into a place of hope, health, life, and healing. But maybe you're like me, running around frantic, searching. Where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? And I believe that God would look at you today and say, hey, son, daughter, what's in your hand? What gift do you have to offer the church? What gift do you have to offer the kingdom? I just, just everybody look at me for a moment. I just want to close it out in a real practical way. Um, you know, sometimes we, we close a little differently. And there are some of you sitting here today not allowing your gift to be used, not allowing what God's done in your life to be heard or seen because of, of some impurity. Deal with it. Confess it to him. And he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. This last week, we had a great time in our small groups where we actually opened up and said, hey, here's some strongholds in my life and surrounded ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who prayed for one another to break free from some of those strongholds. It was powerful. Some of those things, one, one person shared with me, they're like, you know, I've, just been, I've been actually embarrassed to share the stronghold I have because I didn't know what people would think. And here they are now sharing it with their pastor in this small group. And I'll be honest with you, I thought more of the person after than I did before. And just get it off, man, release it, man, deal with it. But there's some of you that aren't, aren't stepping in and allowing your gift to be used. And I don't know what your gift is because of uncertainty. Then there's others of you, that thing has grown to just a place of insecurity now, man, this, is, this, is, this isn't it. But I want you to know something. All of that, God can still use you as you're in process with it. Because here's what we see in the life of Moses as he stands at the sea. He still didn't believe he was the right one for the job. Gave a great speech. But somebody else and God said, no, I, I put you in that place right now, Moses, to use you. God puts you in this church so that your gift could come forth and be used so that other people could cross from death to life. God put you here. God placed you here. And as long as you're here, man, this is the place that God has you, man, the door is wide open and God's saying, hey, come on, come on, come on, come on. But he's asking this question, what do you have in your hand? Uh, I think about Eduardo. This good-looking dude in the second row right here with a cool hat on. He's a Seahawks fan. Come on, somebody. They're not doing that great, but it's okay. We'll, we'll pray for him. Are, are there any 49ers fans in the house? I am so sorry. Um, I'll never forget when uh, we moved into this place, Eduardo was a huge part of the setup and pack-up team when we were portable. And... Um, so I started thinking through, man, the setup and pack-up team. I'm like, look, like that's service. 
That's how they serve. That's how their faith is growing as they serve that way. But I mean, we're not going to like stack all the chairs and make them set them up every Sunday. We don't have to now, right? We're like, we got a building. And uh, we wanted some great people out front directing people into the parking lot. And man, he has taken that on and crushed it and ran with it. How many guys are part of the parking lot ministry? Just raise your hand. Yeah, like. And here's the thing. What I love about him is even, you know, like, because, like, uh, you know, when we had two services and, uh, you know, parking was a little more challenging and, man, he ran. But, you know, when his team started to dwindle, uh, as people kind of got reassigned to other places, man, he didn't get discouraged. He just continued to allow the gift that God put on him to be used. I think about the tech team back there. If you saw the agony and the pain they went through in order to have tech this morning, like, you'd think you just click on a TV and you're good to go. Oh no, not these TVs. No, I'm pretty sure we need to cast some demons out of them. Every Sunday. No, just kidding. Um, but how they're using their gift so that they'll take this message now and it's going to go out and other people can hear and be, be encouraged. Be inspired. I think about these guys right here, the worship team, and others of you on the worship team. Um, and uh, man, they, 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 they didn't just show up on Sunday morning and start playing. There's, there's, there's hours of practice most of the time. <laughs> They're using their gift. I think about I think about Connie. A lot of you might not know Connie. Um, Connie's over here on the front row, and uh, there she is. She's waving. I, I think Connie has, and this is just my opinion. Every gift is unique and special, but I think she has one of the uh, most. I don't know if I, powerful is the right word, but uh, maybe it is. Um, you might not know this, but she is like the church intercessor, and um, so she probably hears from me quite a bit, especially over the last two years. Can you pray for this? Can you pray for this? But this woman's a prayer warrior. And I'm telling you, there is not a prayer that slips past her. Like we send her stuff like, hey, can you pray this for the church? Hey, this is what's going on in my life. Matter of fact, um, one of the biggest ones is my daughter playing basketball. We've had last, but hey, she's injured again. Can you pray for her? Hey, she's injured again. Can you pray for her? Um, but man, to have that, and then she has a whole list of a team that she sends out. Hey, intercessors, let's pray for this. Man, what a gift. And it's being used by God. Here's my question to you. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Do you play an instrument? Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that good. Insecurity. Well, I don't, I, don't know if, I, don't know if I could, I don't know if I could fit in with the team. I mean, they're pretty good uncertainty. Well, pastor, yeah, I do, but I'm just dealing with some things in my life right now. Impurity. There's one thing I've learned. If you wait until everything is right in your life before you allow yourself to be used by God, you're never going to be used by God. So here's my question. You look to stand to your feet because that's a next step closer to ending. Here's my question to you. Can you stop looking at your mountain of impurity, uncertainty, and insecurity and look at your heavenly Father who's bigger than all of it and say, God, here's what I have.
And in the midst of my impurity, in the midst of my insecurity, in the midst of my uncertainty, God, would you use me? God, would you use me? Real practical, real practical. I don't know if we can pull up. If you want to, if you want to go to the next uh, level here at, at Canvas Church and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to discover how my gift can be used by God, just simply text team to that number right there and say, I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready to take that step. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. God, your word is incredible. And I, I pray that we would learn from the life of Moses today. That, God, we have something in our hand. God, that we possess something. It could be used by you. No matter if we're dealing with these things. And, God, we don't even have to overcome and conquer those things fully. We just, we just surrender that to you. Because, God, your word declares, cast all our cares upon you for you care for us. And when we cast it to you, God, you take the burden. And, God, you use us as we're in process. So, God, I just pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And show us what's in our hand. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hey, um, something, something real quick. Make sure you text that. Want to take your next step. Get involved somewhere. Um, but um, today, uh, we have a lunch that's sponsored by Thrivent Financial. Now, here's what I want to preface. This isn't like an open lunch where, hey, yeah, just come through and get food. If you want to discover more about what they call their action teams, Thrivent Financial is a Christian um, investment uh, company. And um, they have these things called action teams. And um, your $20 investment for one year will yield $250 for ministry money for the church. It's powerful. And so if you want to find out more about that, Michael, come up here real quick. Uh, this is Michael right here, part of Thrivent, also a, an awesome part of this church. And um, also uh, we're in a fantasy league together, and he beat me a couple weeks ago, and I'm a little bitter. Um, but if you want to know more about that, we're going to have a lunch. But if you want to find out more where the lunch is at, come see Michael. He's going to tell you all about it. And uh, probably a 45-minute lunch, and he'll going to share all about uh, how you can take $20 and turn it into $250, all right? God bless you. Have an amazing week. If you want to find out more about serving, text TEAM to 858-943-221. If you need prayer for anything, I'm up here. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.